With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Good evening and welcome to Political Prisoner Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines known as the USA Inc. Of course, I'm joined on the line by our co-host and co-producer, Sister Amija Whitlock. Uh, tonight, it is August the 30th, 2015 on this Sunday night. So glad that you could join us. Uh, do just want to acknowledge the difficulties, those that were listening to Time for Awakening Radio. I hope that they were able to get that resolved, but the show must go on. Uh, tonight we will be updating you on the case of Russell Maroon Schultz, who is a community active, activist, sorry, founding member of the Black Unity Council, former member of the Black Panther Party, soldier in the Black Liberation Army, and, of course, a currently held political prisoner who was sentenced to life in prison for allegedly killing a police officer. And, of course, he was convicted by a implicitly biased jury, not of his peers. Uh, Mr. Schultz is 72 years old. And up until 2014, had been held in solitary confinement for over 22 years. Uh, he is a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement that we see in the streets today. Um, but he is also recovering from radiation treatment for prostate cancer. And we should be joined here in just a bit uh, by his son, Russ Jr. But let's go ahead and welcome in our co-host and co-producer, Sister Mijo. Do we have you on the line, sis? I'm here. Good evening, Scotty. Good evening to you. I hope that you are safe and sound behind these enemy lines. That I am. So, um, as I mentioned, we should be joined by uh, Russ uh, pretty soon, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so let me check the conference line, but let me say this. Um, this program is only an hour long. If you have a question or some commentary you would like to offer related to anything uh, we're talking about tonight or political prisoners in general. You can give us a call at 641-715-3660 and the access code is 549-032-POUND. For those that's dialed in, uh, welcome. Uh, if you want to make a comment to signal me, hit star six and one to comment on air. You can also use that web-based flash phone to make a free call from anywhere in the world as long as you have a headset so as we wait on um brother russ to give us a call uh sister amija what's been going on up there in baltimore um there's a lot of movement happening um we are expecting the uh cops to start having um some preliminary hearings of course you know the number one thing that they've been trying to do is uh push for uh, a change of venue you're and talking about the cops. Is, Just for clarity for the listeners, you're talking about the cops that are accused of uh, killing Freddie Gray. Yes. Please continue. And um, yeah, so um, we we always suspected that they would try to push for a change of venue. Mm -hmm. And our argument is that you're not going to be able to go anywhere in the state of Maryland, you know. Um, so arguing for you know change of venue 
um, just, it's just not going to work. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, whenever, you know, there's these situations where people try to argue for change of venue, um, you know, I've always been, uh, I've always thought that wherever, you know, an alleged crime happened, it should be, you know, um, you know, dealt with exactly where it supposedly took place. I, I, I would agree with you, except for under certain caveats. But in terms of these police, right. most certainly, most certainly. And what they're trying to do is uh, get a jury that is mostly white, that they know is going to empathize with these cops. Um, you know, the all lives matter, the blue lives matter people. And so that's probably what they're trying to do, get it moved to a county where they know it's heavily Republican or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Somebody that's going to be sympathetic to cops and not sympathetic to the victims. Because, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, which, you know, I'm just outside of Charlotte, just went through that with um, the uh, killer cop trial, Randall Carrick, and it ended in a mistrial. And I knew it was going to end in a mistrial, sis, because they had too many racist suspects on there. And it's a scientific fact that white people, the majority of white people, do not empathize with non-white people. So they didn't have any empathy or sympathy for the victim, and they felt all of that empathy and sympathy for the white cop accused of killing Jonathan Pharrell. Well, ain't no accused. I mean, it's no question that he killed him. So, yeah, that's what they trying to do, sis. Right. Now, I saw something that troubled me out of Baltimore. Um, you might know the young man's name, but I saw a video of his mother on Facebook today, the one who made him turn himself in for busting a window out of a cop car doing y'all recent rebellion, at, yeah. you know, after the killing. Yeah. And now they have arrested yeah. her husband on bogus charges. And, and you know, she just she just really feeling it. And I empathize with her. But when we going to learn that, you know, doing the right thing is not turning your children over to this slave system. Right. Right. Well, you know, after, you know, there was an agreement for him to turn herself in, like not too long after that, after the, um, you know, charges and the, um, you know, uh, the bail that, that came out, the exorbitant bail. That, One you million. Know, um, Huh? One million dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got our guest on. We got um, um, brother Schultz on. Uh, greetings, brother Schultz. This is brother Scotty, and of course, sister Mijo is on the line. Uh, here on Political Prisoner Radio. Thank you for having me, bro. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm going to let uh, Sister Amijo lead us in that segment. So, sis, if you don't mind taking over. Sure. I just wanted to uh, finish up that last thought in regard to, um, you know, Alan Bullock. Yes, ma'am. Um, and, and the allegations uh, and the eight charges uh, currently against him. Um, and, you know, he had the exorbitant amount of bail um, and, and the cops themselves, you know, um, $250,000. Um, compared to the exorbitant bail that, that he had and you know it was just made known and obvious all across the country you know um you know the disparate treatment of uh, those that were um you know kidnapped during during the rebellion and how you know people were sent how the jail was essentially being used as a concentration camp you know and and all laws and various things associated to um, you know, habeas corpus and, you know, legal matters and various things were, you know, suspended in Baltimore. And now we know that, of course, that the mayor never had that kind of authority anyway, and that authority would have rested only with the governor. Um, so uh, we we still have a lot of work, um, definitely, you know, moving forward and prosecuting, um, you know, these six um, police officers, as well as, you know, um, what's happening in, in other cases of um, officers that have, um, you know, murdered other um, people's family members and those families, you know, seeking justice for their loved ones. So, um, and, and it's the same thing that's happening all, all across the country. I know there, there was the case um, in Florida, or no, it was uh, North Carolina, Scotty, um, with, the, with the football player. Jonathan Pharrell, um, yeah, that's and uh, Randall yeah. Carrick I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah they it, yeah. W it was a mistrial. Yeah, 
Right. Yeah. Which, uh, and which the attorney know. general said he's not going to retry this case because he suspects that it'll be the same outcome. And again, I think that's a truthful statement. I, I, I think that he should have still went through the motions anyway. You know, you can't you never know. But I, I do think there's a lot of truth in that because anytime you have a jury that's filled with racist suspects and white people scientifically unable to empathize with black victims, yeah, you're going to have the same outcome. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the gist that, you know, what's happening here. We're, you know, continuing to move forward. Um, everybody is keeping, you know, their eyes and ears, you know, to the ground and ready to, you know, keep moving forward to um, to get justice. So, um, now on to um, I guess the next segment with, um, you know, Brother Russell. Um, thanks for joining us and um, coming on to the show tonight to give us an, an update on what's happening um, with your dad. Yeah, yeah and, thank um, you guys for having me. And he just turned um, 71, Ralph? 71, 72? Yes, yes. Um, his birthday um, just passed this month, August uh, 24th. Um, just a week or so ago, and uh, we had a small celebration at 58th and Spruce in Philadelphia. Uh, we'll see some of the stuff on our Facebook sites and also at www.russellmaroonshirts.com, and that's the space where you can find everything maroon, everything in reference to my father's case. Um, our, our outreach um, and the work that we're doing. If you're if you're interested in his case or joining the campaign, you know that's the that's the that's the best way to find information at www.russellmaroonshooks.com. Sister Amija, we still have you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm still here. So, um, Russ, how, I guess, how is he doing, you know, um, physically and, uh, what is, is there any, um, updates, um, on his, uh, case? Well, uh, he, he's doing as well as, you know, uh, any 70 year old man in prison, um, as well as any of our freedom fighters are doing. At this moment, um, he is uh, just off of cancer treatment, which was successful. Um, he's just finished um, some months ago a, a struggle around him getting, you know, uh, tension stockings for his varicose veins. Um, he also struggled to get him some cataract surgery um and so um these things have been extremely pivotal you know in his life in reference to just quality of life inside a prison and that's something that we need to be addressing out here in the streets because as we know all of our political prisoners are getting older um so again I feel like we have to really intensify the struggle around political prisoners mm -hmm. just in their age alone. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in this struggle for over 20 years. And again, I've heard a lot of people, you know, talking about we should break them out and, you know, we should do all of these daring things and, you know, we should go over the wall, we should get a helicopter. And, you know, it don't take 20 years to do none of that. And it hasn't been done. So, um, not only myself for years, but other political prisoners have been proposing different strategies. One of the strategies that I've been proposing and I'm still working on and trying to galvanize people around the idea, um, is a campaign we have going called America's Mandela's that ties the, um, struggle of South Africa and 
Nelson Mandela as a political prisoner to um, the struggles of our political prisoners. And I want to be very specific here just to legitimize our struggle, not to say that his struggle is greater or lesser than our political prisoners and not to say our political prisoners is greater or lesser, but very specifically to say that Obama, the United States, you know, France, England, um, Asia, uh, all of these diplomats and prime ministers and presidents of different countries, when Mandela passed, came to pay their honors and respect him and hold him up as a freedom fighter. And as uh, political people here in this country doing work around freedom fighters, we missed a golden opportunity to hold their feet to the fire not just here in the United States, but for political prisoners in, in, in Asia and political prisoners in, in, in Europe and political prisoners in France and South America, all over the world. And so that was a major, major um, faux pas on our part. It was a major slip on our part also not to be present there, you know, representing our global political prisoners and saying to these global leaders that, if you recognize Mandela, then you have to recognize all of these other freedom fighters because they are the exact same struggle. If I may chime in, Brother Russ, this is Scotty again. Um, I had just talked to, um, before the program earlier today, I was telling Sister Amigio that I wanted to talk about Black Lives Matter because okay. um, including your father, didn't your father just pen a poem or something in support of Black Lives Matter movement in the street? Am I correct in, in my understanding of that? You broke up. Did you say that one more time, please, bro? Yeah. Didn't your father just a, a write a piece acknowledging or in support of the movement, the current movement that's in the street? My father did write a piece, um, but it was specifically an artistic piece that he wrote. Um, and we encouraged that in him, but we didn't know that it would come out in the forms of a Black Lives Matter poem, mm -hmm. which he wrote. Okay. Um, and the poem is, you know, it's, it's, it's very much to the point and it is supportive to answer your question. If that is your question. Um, yes but I want to understand your question properly because my father is a, and he does have a theory pretty much on everything. And, uh, uh, I don't think that he has his full theory out in reference to black lives matter, but I think he did want to, um, do an artistic piece. And we have been encouraging him to write outside of his, his, uh, critical writing, and it's theoretical writing. Mm -hmm. And so out of nowhere came this poem, which we all loved, mm -hmm. but it definitely was not a critique or a necessary support. Well, I think, well, let me put it this way. Um, a number of political prisoners who have um, been working with Noel Hanrahan on prison radio, a number of them, and we're not talking about the cr critical analysis or anything, but just in support of the movement in general. Now, we know it's a group of activists that's calling themselves Black Lives Matter, and they have a 501c3 and whatnot. But like I have been intimating to people uh, over the past couple of weeks is that this is not a new movement. This is a continuation of a centuries old movement of black liberation on this continent on within the borders of the United States of America. And so, you know, if, if we want to talk about the current period of unrest, we can go back to Gina Six. Um, in 2007, I believe, is when there was a, a mass mobilization on behalf of the uh, young men known as the Gina Six. Then, of course, we know the Trayvon Martin. There was mobilization for him. Then we know about Ayanna Jones in Detroit, mobilization for her, Eric Gardner. So all of these things were going on in this mass mobilization before the hashtag or the name Black Lives Matter came up. But with that said, I think I think that what these 
political prisoners are doing is just expressing, you know, support for the movement that's out there in the streets now. Now, this is what this is why I said what I said that they have been been uh, expressing their support for the current movement. And I had intimated to Sister Amigio earlier today is that. You know, whatever you want to call yourself, whatever the name of your organization is, is that part of your policy initiatives. If you want to talk about Black Lives Matter, then part of your policy initiatives should include our the freedom of our political prisoners who were out there mobilizing, organizing, and fighting this fight while many of these young people weren't even born yet. Or some of them, like me, were still swaddling in my diapers and pooping on myself. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like any current movement has to put political prisoners at the for at, at the forefront or make it a part of the plank of their platform. That's just my thoughts on it. No, I don't I don't uh I don't at all disagree with that. And um I think to take it a step further, you know, um not only did our political prisoners say that, not only are we saying that with the America Mandela's um, campaign, but I think it's an imperative that um, we do that because I believe, I don't believe, I know that there are elements within that movement all the way back to the Genesis movement, which is all one movement. Um, right that are there specifically to make sure that there is no connection between the political prisoners and to sow um, contention internally and also to uh, just be, for lack of better terms, um, agents of the state in a cointel pro matter. Just, you know, looking like us, working like us, um, you know, carrying the party line, you know, but at the end of the day, um, making sure that issues like, you know, um, we should be at the forefront of our movement and call the shots. Um, issues like um, sexism in the movement and women having a forefront part in it and males um, quieting their voices and allowing the sisters to um, be able to hold the mic and not just the mic, but the deliver of power. Um, but um, also you know, um, just making sure that our political prisoners are recognized. So I agree with all of that. Sister Meadow. Yeah, I guess I think right now one of the major concerns regarding um, BLM is, um, you know, like you had just mentioned, Scotty, um, the, the 501c3, the nonprofit, and then this issue of uh, overall co-optation and then um, you know, eventually the issue of BLM and other things, um, moving towards the presidential elections as well as some local and regional elections and BLM being used as a means to manipulate, um, the, the being able to manipulate voters and, um, those people that are engaged in BLM now engaging in electoral politics. You know what I'm saying? Right, because we just heard the Democratic National Convention is going to um, sign a resolution mentioning the Black Lives Matter. Again, this is not a new movement. That's what we got to get out of letting the mainstream media dictate the narrative. This is not a new movement. This is a continuation of a centuries old movement for black lives in this country. All right. And also specifically naming just those three women. All right. So that right there, that that reminds me of what Malcolm X said in his his speech message to the grassroots. And he talked about how uh, the original march on Washington was planned by grassroots activists in the streets and how then it was co-opted and certain people were put in charge of it to tone it down. You know, that's where he was talking about if your coffee too strong, if it's too black, what do you do? You put some cream in it, right? And you weaken it. Where, whereas where it was keeping you awake, now it's putting you to sleep. And so this is why it's important 
that we teach young people about the history because a lot of times, like Brother Russ mentioned, COINTELPRO tactics, hey, they, they using the same tactics as they used in the past. And if we are not aware of these things, then we're going to fall for the same old thing. But I saw something today. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, because I was talking to somebody last week and they were trying to say, like, homophobia in our community isn't a problem. Well, I know that's that's not true. All right. I've seen uh, uh, um, people who, who are labeled as homosexuals being bullied in my community. I don't have to agree with with homosexuality or thoughts on that. But I recognize that's a human being who deserves to be treated with dignity with a human being and not targeted or anything like that. But in this Black Lives Matter movement, I'm seeing all these issues being brought up. Feminism. I'm seeing, you know, uh, transgenders issues being brought up. I'm seeing all of these issues being brought up, but at the same time, I'm not seeing anything recognizing our political prisoners. Now, I will say this. I did see one march, okay, and I don't know who was running that march or whatever, but they were saying hands off our, our elder sister Asada. Who is a who you we can call a political prisoner in exile, you know, uh, uh, so to speak. So you know that is, that is my concern. I have a very uh, strong concern, you know, because I mean, you think about it. Like we've said often on this show, Sister Amijo, political prisoners are being created now out of this current movement. So you know what? It, it makes perfect sense that you that you recognize those who paid the way for you, who were out there uh, battling, you know, these evil forces, and make that part uh, of your platform. Because hey, who knows? Twenty years from now, we might be talking about one of them. If I'm still right. around, well, right, right, <laughs> and 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 the point is that you know our political prisoners. Um, majority of them, you know, were engaged in, you know, the same fight, um, you know, fighting against police brutality. You know, that is the, the origins of, you know, many of, you know, the radical movements of the 60s and 70s, you know, um, police terrorism, genocide, and war, you know. Um, so it's just a, it's a matter of connecting you know, um, this the 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 multi generational um you know struggle and folks just being you know consistent and clear across the board. And, and to that point, Sister Mijo, Brother Russ, can you tell people how the Black Unity Council got started, which preceded the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army, all three organizations which your father was a part of? But I think the Black Unity Council, and I remember. The Last time you shared that story with us about how it got started, it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. So if you don't mind, would you share uh, the conditions under which Black Unity Council was formed? Sure, sure. Well, um, the BUC or, or BUC or Black Unity Council um, was a forerunner to the Panthers and BLA, specifically in Philadelphia. Um, and that organization was started um, very simply um, the same way in, in a continuation of the Black Lives Matter, of the Genesis, um, of, you know, Philadelphia basic, you know, police brutality and that, um, you know, people in Philly, I mean, Philly was you know, like I said, you know, Mayor Rizzo and Police Chief Rizzo, before he became the mayor, um, really put the police state together for the entire United States and makes Giuliani look like a schoolboy um, for what he did for New York um, because you could not, um, as much as get to a corner and look left and right, before a police officer attacked you with a dog or clubbed you over the head and said you hanging out on the corner. You know, you could barely get your bearings or direction straight before you get clubbed over the head, you know, uh, in the police state of Philadelphia in the 70s, you know, ran by police chief Mayor Rizzo. And all you need to do is Google Frank Rizzo um, and his, his tactics and mm -hmm. his verbiage 
and him saying, you know, I will drag niggas out by the scruff of their necks, you know, and this was an elected official, you know, who would get on TV and it's all on YouTube. You can, you can Google Frank Rizzo and, and just see how he, you know, ran a police department and went on to run the city as mayor. Um, and so that's what truly born the Black Unity Council was a collective of folks in Philadelphia that basically um, started out as, you know, corner boys who were out on the corner singing, drinking wine, doo-wopping is what they call it. You know, um, you wouldn't have the sound of Philadelphia era. You wouldn't have the Kenny Gambles and you wouldn't have the Philadelphia International Records. You wouldn't hear Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass or any of that. All of that's directly connected to the sound of Philadelphia. And the sound of Philadelphia came from, you know, people drinking wine and singing on the corners and harmonizing. But all of that ended with Frank Rizzo. And mm -hmm. so because people were really upset about not being able to even really, like I said, you couldn't stop on the corner and look and see, well, which way I'm going? Am I going towards Market Street or am I going towards South Philly? Well, by the time you figure that out, the cops are on you, mm -hmm. you know, and so people said we got to do something. There was also uh, a Trayvon Martin style killing right. by the police, though, mm -hmm. where a young brother, he was young. He did steal a car. He was joyriding. Um, he did run out the car through an alley. The police chased him through the alley. He ran through his mother's back door. Um, and before he could get, you know, to hide behind his mother, the police shot him down in front of his mother. Mm -mm -mm. And, you know, his mother stabbed the police officers. They beat her and dragged her out in front of the whole neighborhood. The neighborhood was irate. And they demanded that something, you know, something happened. And so all of the gangs collectively came together. Um, my father and the Philly Five, who he went to jail with, his five comrades, my uncle Saeed, Hud, and, and a few other brothers, um, decided that they would, you know, retaliate against this type of brutality um, that Frank Rizzo was um, laying down and not just for the brother who had stole the car, but the brother who stole the car was just the tip of the iceberg or the straw that broke the camel's back, mm -hmm. you know, after the state and so forth and so on. So when the Panthers did take hold in Philly, um, Brother Reggie Shell in North Philly, who was the captain of the Panthers in Philly, knew about the buck. He knew about uh, my dad and his comrades. He knew that they were armed. He knew that they were military-minded. He knew that they had been bobbed over the head by the police. And he knew that they weren't afraid. And so they became the actual military wing of the Black Panthers. Yeah, they signed up to be Black Panthers. But at the end of the day, they were they were the military wing of the Philadelphia Black Panthers. You know, mm -hmm. um, everybody had their place. You know, uh, Mumia was doing the writing and running the office at that point in time and never really even came in contact with my father, you know. And uh, my father and them had, you know, developed uh, all types of, um, military strategy um, to try to deal with um, the Panthers being pulled out of the North Philly office and stripped and all of that type of stuff. So that's where the buck grew out of. It grew out of a police state. It grew out of, you know, uh, basically people um, being upset and didn't know another way to really even deal um, with the state. And so I say that also to say, overlappingly in the point I was making earlier is, is that I, I still believe that at a specific place in time, at a specific point in the struggle, those military actions still may be necessary. But where we are right now and the cadre that we have right now and the people who we have, the young people that we have moving forward, which we should always have an above ground and a below ground. And our below ground should never come out and be above ground, which happened with the BLA, which happened with the Black Panthers. Um, so our above ground should be doing things like 
um, confronting politicians. Yeah. Yeah. They should be doing above ground actions. They should be educating. They should be politicizing. They should be involved in electoral politics. They should be involved in anything that runs the city. They should be involved in food programs. They should be involved in political education, so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. But I like what you said um, about the underground portion of it too, because I was I'm, I am former military. I think you may have have known that I I spent six yeah. years in the U.S. Army as a communication specialist, which I try to employ those skills now for what I'm doing now. Black Talk Radio, Black Talk Media Project. But that's one of the things I I, I was talking about is you know we need we don't need to be advertising everything we do to the media when we be even like the BLM, when they have a planning meeting or a conference, why are you announcing to the world where you're holding your conferences and what you're going to be doing and what's on the agenda and all of this? We need to move in silence behind these enemy lines and not and, and being more strategic and not being so open with our information. That's why Hillary Clinton is in trouble now with the email scandal. Is she not handling intelligence properly and, and securely? And I had a top secret security clearance. And so these are just some of some of the basic principles that I don't see being adhered to. And you're opening up yourself for those COINTELPRO tactics. Yes, I, I understand and, and, and I agree and I feel like um, just like Hillary Clinton, in defense of our people, just like Hillary Clinton, as an above ground warrior as she is for the state, mm -hmm. at, at its highest level, she's an above ground warrior for the state. Right. And she, and now, you know, and there's a very important book and I don't generally um, put the state's uh, uh, information out, but there's a very important book out called Team of Teams, and basically it's put out by a general, I won't say his name, you can just Google the book Team of Teams, but in a nutshell, what he's saying in Team of Teams, and this general is basically responsible for squashing anything that happened in the Middle East that had any footing. That goes from the Arab Spring to to ISIL right now. So his claim to fame is, is that I'm the guy who squashed all of that. You know, for whatever squashing you may see that has happened, whether you see that as valid, as anything got squashed or anything didn't get squashed, um, but there is an intelligence and military component to the state over there, obviously. And his his main thing is, is that the military, um, with its multiple divisions, um, all the way to the State Department, all the way to um, uh, uh, the Defense Department, uh, all the way to our elected officials and Hillary Clinton. He's saying that basically, you know, we have to be a team of teams. We can't just be like, oh, we're going to send the Navy SEALs in there and we're going to just roughhouse them. Right. Are we going, you know, well, they did that. They tried to do that. And, you know, with the Arab Spring and other things, you know, people shut them down just on intelligence-wise because the intelligence on the ground, as we know, our intelligence is way more stronger than theirs if we just look at the prison grapevine. Right. You know, we found out information so much quicker and so much faster, and we move information way faster than they move it. And that's what foiled them a lot of times, and he recognized that. So he said, we got to do what they're doing. So what he did is basically he instituted, um, he got rid of a lot of the divisions and beef between the military sectors. So he brought together the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, um, the uh, special ops organization, um, the JAGs. Uh, he brought in uh, the Defense Department. He brought in politicians. And every day for the past few years, they have three or 400 people on a video chat. And he got rid of the phone chat because he said a lot of people would, you know, go off, you know, and be in the shower, you know, while we, while we strategizing. And I really needed their full commitment. I need to be able to look at their face and then look at my face on this video chat 
and get the strategies from them and hear them out and have other people respect them. So just because you're from the Navy SEALs and she Hillary Clinton and she some some advice, when Hillary gave the advice, we all can respect it even though she a politician and she don't know nothing about war. And then we're going to give her some advice back on how to run her, her, her campaign mm-hmm. and how to be an ultimate soldier for us, for the state, in the field that she's in. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do. We need to be better teams of teams because we got people all over in different areas doing all different types of things, mm-hmm. and we don't have time to really beef with them, even though we don't even get down with how they get down. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we have to lend the ear, and as a professional in the in the field that you're in, mm-hmm. you know, lend the ear. And a lot of times, I can't rock with you. I may not even be able to give you support. But the lowest level is lending you an ear. So I, I at least hear what you're doing. And so even on this back end, I may be able to rally my people in a way to make sure that we don't fall in a pothole that you're about to create. Mm. So those type of strategies are very important and being used today to deal with, you know, uh, the Baltimore's, the Ferguson's, the, mm. and behind the scenes, they're consulting with this guy. Not only are they consulting with him, he done left the military. And on some Sun Tzu stuff, he 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 taking it into corporate America. Mm. He's saying, look, I ain't even a general no more. You know, I'm going to come and talk to y'all on Wall Street about how to hold this thing down, how to really. So I look at it as we oppress people. They're oppressors. And they got oppressors in all different walks and fields of life. You know, it's not just uh, some military oppression. Right. They got economic people who come in and will destroy your country by just printing up too much capital. Yeah. Or, uh, they you, got uh, agricultural people who will come in your country and sell you some bad seeds and from Monsanto's and they'll just destroy your whole crop. Right. And they just do it like that and you'll be done. Mm-hmm. But if you're, not, if you're not respecting the people from Monsanto's and they hustle on how they get down, how vicious they really are, then you're not going to be able to, 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 to have another tool to work with when you go into this other country. And those are the things we need to do. We need to respect even the smallest things that people are doing, even when we don't agree with them. We don't, it's not necessary that we have to agree with them. You know, and we don't have to necessarily even work with them. But we do need to hear what it is that they're doing how they're doing it, and why they're doing it. Then analyze that, and if we can add something to it, add something to it. If we can't add nothing to it, don't tear it down. You mentioned the economic thing. I was just reminded. In, in these books, you know, in, in these books, we should be reading the enemy's books. That's part of gathering intelligence on the enemy. Um, there is a, there's a book called The Confessions of an Economic Hitman. It's also a, a, a documentary and you can find that on YouTube and he talks about. That's one of, that's one of their greatest tools. Right, right. And, and so we should be studying, you know, that's what warfare is. And I think that's probably what the problem is, Brother Russ, that many of us don't recognize that we are in a war. And we think that this is some kind of civil society and everything is about, you know, making change through the ballot box. And they're not seeing it as a war, you know. And, 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 and it's not that I'm criticizing them because the, the media propaganda, the educa- the so-called uh, education system, it has messed up so many of our minds. I, I tell you, man. And so, you know, but these are things that we need to be having discussions about. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that book and I'm going to check it out. Because that's one of the things I look at, you know, in like my role. I'm not a street organizer, Brother Russ. I'm not a street organizer. I'm not one to get up on a podium and give a speech or or try to even, you know, organize events out there in the street. What I am is is a media producer. I'm using the skills that I was taught in the military and then what I taught myself 
to provide an information outlet for the masses the best I can, unfiltered, so that we can have these conversations and not be censored, not worried about losing advertise, corporate advertisers to keep us in business and all this and that. So everybody has a role to play. The lawyer had, the black lawyer has a role to play. You know, the, the, uh, educator has a role to play. Even the entertainer has a role to play. We look at Harry Balafonte who, who, you know what I'm saying? his role back in the movement back in the day. So uh, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. Well, 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 just look, well, just look at uh, John Wayne, Charlton Heston, Elvis Presley. You know, they got their entertainers too. And so exactly. they out there to do what they got to do. It may look like it look. You could be a fan. You could not be a fan. You know, at the end of the day. But, you know, I see, I see some of their entertainers as, you know, just entertainers of the oppressor. You know, and they may know it. They may not know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, you know, I know what it's doing to me personally, you yeah. know, so, you know, and I can't, at the end of the day, brother, it's very key and very important that we understand that it's not, it's not so important that, you know, you are doing it grassroots wise, devoid of any sponsorship, as opposed to, uh, uh, hypothetically Mark Lamont Hill or 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 whoever it may be um but that we watch those people and see exactly what their strengths and weaknesses are mm -hmm. and we wait for the opportunity to engage in a way mm -hmm. that is beneficial for the whole not right. for me not for my career right not for my you know, not just for Maroon, not just for my father, mm -hmm. you know, but that we um, look for the opportunity to support you, to support Mark Lamont Hill um, as best we can to further um, our struggle collectively as oppressed people and mm -hmm. then deal with the contradictions um, behind closed doors at a later date not in front of the oppressor right. and not let the oppressor even know that I even see it as a contradiction. Okay. All right. Because once he recognizes that I see it as a contradiction, then he wants to sow the seed of dissent in between. I think the second piece of that is, is that on the back end, we're so busy worrying about what we ain't doing right that, you know, uh, and some people don't know, but there is a constant struggle with the oppressor internally, just like it was before this general came in and, and brought a lot of them together. You know, the Marines mm -hmm. hate the SEALs, and the SEALs, you right, know, right. hate the Airborne, and the Airborne hate the, you know, uh, Green Berets. Mm -hmm. It's like a if high school rivalry. That's how they rock. Yeah, it's like a high school rivalry type deal. Right. You know, the, the, the local police hate the FBI. Mm-hmm. Because the FBI come in and they just, we ain't going to give you no information. You're the little joker. And we over top of you. And, you know, so our job is to keep that rivalry going. It's to say to the police officers and to say to the FBI, yeah, those police officers ain't sure you should never share information with them. You know why? Because <laughs> this is what they do with it. And they ain't ready to receive it. And they ain't good intelligence. And they don't even know what the fuck y'all talking about. And then go back to the police and say, you know, y'all should be getting information from them. They still big y'all over. Y'all don't even treat y'all right. And we should have professional people do that. Right, right. Not just any old body. Right. You know, have Mark Lamont Hill do that. Mm -hmm. So that it has some traction and some footing. That's your job, Mark Lamont Hill, is just to keep it going. And just like and just like how how they recruit people to be informants for them. And I've had people tell me it can't be done, but I believe anything can be done. You know, if you explore it and you come up with the right tactics and strategy. But I think we need to be recruiting informants on, in the, on the inside of them. Whether it's with the police department, whether it's the FBI, and I have, um, you know, in the past and do it now, you know, is tell people that you need to be having conversations with your daughters and sons that's in the military and ask them, you know, if you was given an order 
uh, to deploy to the United States to put down this rebellion? Would you actually fire on your people if given that order? See, these are conversations we need to be having with these people, you know, and don't think that those conversations aren't had in the military. Because I remember when the uh, Los Angeles rebellion kicked off after they failed to indict those uh, cops that beat Rodney King. And, and I, we were talking about that among ourselves. The brothers was talking about that among ourselves. And we were stationed over there in Hawaii. And, you know, I just said, hey, man, if they called us out to go put down that rebellion and then, you know, uh, talking about, you know, I want, I, I'm giving y'all live ammunition. I want y'all to put these people down. What would you do? I, I, these are things we need to be doing. I, I feel like, Brother Russ. No, I agree. I agree 100%. And, you know, uh, there is no kind of, for me, there is no limit. There is no place that I won't go. There is no morality in fighting the oppressor. Man. There's no, there's no, oh, well, you know, and then one step further is we know through our military, you've been in it. I know it. I haven't been in it, but I know it. I don't have to be in it. I know that 85% of the people in the military are in it in a financial situation. That's why I would bill, So forth and so on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Forget about the military. Mm -hmm. uh, the politicians, forget about them. Um, the guy at the FBI, the guy at the CIA, all of them have a price. Mm -hmm. In this capitalist society, one thing we have to recognize is that all of them have a price. All we got to do is come up with the money. They're going to do whatever you want them to do. They're going to give you the tapes. They're going to give you, obviously, there are principal ones, like the Eric Snowdens of the world, you know, mm -hmm. who are just going to do it on a strength. But that's, we need him, and we support him, and we should create more of those, and we need to be closer to mm -hmm. the hacker community. But we need money to bribe people because it's important to bribe people. Mm -hmm. Bribing is a, a very strategic military and warlike thing. You know, you gotta, that's a part of intelligence. We gotta be able to pay people for information. I'm willing to pay for information. I'm willing to take some of my hard earned money and put it in a pot for information. Mm -hmm. People got information. Oh, they're gonna tell us when they're gonna come down and do such and such. They're gonna tell us when they're gonna try to hurt our people, how they're hurting our people. They're gonna tell us what chemicals they're using to spray and to do whatever. And they need a check for that. We need to provide that check. Period. It's not, it's not even a question for me. Well, Brother Russ, we're getting ready to wrap it up um, for Political Prisoner Radio. Just to let the listeners know, the Lotus Place Radio will be talking about um, the events surrounding Katrina tonight, as well as some of the recent killings of these neo-slave catchers out here. So um, make sure y'all stay tuned for that. Oh, man, I didn't even realize we had lost Sister Amija, but we got her back now. But Brother Russ, as we get ready to uh, wrap up, uh, is there? Can you please give out that information? How people can uh, keep up with the case updates and and other things that your father and the campaign to free your father. You know where can they get that information? Give that out again. Sure, you can. You can always get everything maroon and everything Russell Schultz related at www.russellmaroonshultz. That's www. R U S S E L L M A R O O N S H O A T Z dot com. That's Russell Maroon Shokes dot com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Would you leave our listeners with some final words on why they need to be uh, supporting well, and part of this uh, uh, movement to free all our political prisoners? Well, well, more than anything, we have to build strong collective bodies of people, uh, 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 brown people, yellow people, white folks. I'm going to say that again, white folks, um, because a, a lot of us are still dealing in, uh, in a hate whitey um, uh, ideology and uh, some of the greatest freedom fighters. I mentioned Tom Manning just as one, are mm -hmm. white folks. And uh, we need to be open in order to use the strategies that are available to us. And one word to the wise is collective building. We have to work in collective teams, a lot of different teams with different people. If you say that you're about our cause, put their feet to the fire and make them about our cause. 
All right, all right. Well, Brother Russ, man, it was great speaking to you tonight. You got me really fired up and, and got me just, you know, because last night I ain't going to tell you I was feeling kind of, I was kind of feeling down and discouraged, man, but you feel my belly back up with that fire. So I want to thank you for yeah. that and, and thank you for thank coming you, on. Brother. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And you have a great night. You too, sir. Thank you, Russ. All right. Um, before we wrap it up, do want to acknowledge the political prisoner's birthday uh Monday, August the thirty first. That's tomorrow. Uh Ronald Reed will have a birthday. Um Ronald Reed is a former sixties civil rights activist. In nineteen sixty nine he was among the students at St. Paul Central High School who demanded black history courses and organized actions against racist teachers. He was also instrumental in helping to integrate college campuses in Minnesota, and during this period Reed began to look toward revolutionary theory and began to engage in political street theater with other young black revolutionaries in the city of St. Paul. Reed went on to join the Black United Front. In 1970, he was convicted, of course, by a jury of, not his peers, of shooting a St. Paul police officer. 25 years after the shooting, Reed was arrested and convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. He is serving life in prison. And so uh, his birthday is tomorrow. Uh, also this week, Brian, uh, I think you pronounce his name, Valiant? Court, Valiant Court, Brian Valiant Court. Uh, he is a, a animal liberation activist. Uh, he was arrested on February the 9th, 2013 in Chicago for, in his words, allegedly trying to burn down a slaughterhouse known as McDonald's. He is currently being held in the Cook County Jail on a $250,000 bond. I'm not sure how up date this information is i'm getting it from animal liberation press office dot org um let me see he was charged with aggravated arson a class x felony which carries a mandatory minimum of six to thirty years in a department of correction the class x felony is short of first degree murder the most serious felony offense on the books in illinois so Again, those political prisoner birthdays this week are Ronald Reed and Brian Valiant Court. Sister Meja, did you have any final thoughts as we get ready to close it out? Um, I just, you know, want all of our listeners and everyone to, you know, be, you know, more aware of, you know, what is, uh, you know, happening with this um, co-optation of uh, BLM. And I, um, sorry that I missed uh, a portion of, uh, what you and Russ were talking about. Um, I don't, I don't know how my phone dropped the line, but, you know, I think people need to be very vigilant. I'm seeing a lot of folks taking an interest in, um, you know, Bernie Sanders. And, you know, this, this is just typical of what, you know, has been happening, um, across various movements within the United States around times, you know, of, of electoral campaigns. And, um, you know, Barry Sanders is, uh, no friend of ours. And, um, he actually voted to, uh, extradite Asal Shakur. And, um, he's very much a Zionist. So, you know, I just want to make our listeners aware of that. Right. And we're not saying that we shouldn't confront these politicians and enforce them. I think like Brother Russ was saying, you know, we have the above ground activists that engage in that those kind of politics. And then we have, you know, our other uh, underground people right. who, who have other tactics. But, yes, we should confront right. them. We should push them to introduce, you know, legislation. He's supposed to introduce legislation in September to abolish private prisons. And since, you know, I'm a new abolitionist. And so while I don't support Bernie Sanders, I support that legislation because it would free so many people. We could force them to shut down or abolish private prisons in, in, in this country. And, and so you know, just uh, uh, no, that is not going to end slavery by abolishing private prisons, but it would be one battle won in this long war. So you can support policy without supporting a politician. I just want to make that clear. All right. 
We uh, thank you all for joining us tonight here on Political Prisoner Radio. I want to thank Sister Amijo uh, for producing tonight's program and bringing Brother Russ on to talk about his father, Russell Maroon Schultz. Uh, Check out those websites that he mentioned. And we will be back on air next week at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time next Sunday night right here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Peace and blessings to all. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details